Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and we are here today to talk the Warrior Prophet, chapters five through eight. So that's the to the end of part one. So anything up to part two we'll be discussing. So if you have not read past that, then don't listen. To go read it and then come back and listen. So we're here today again with Katerina and Daniel. Katerina, do you want to give us a quick introduction? Uh, hi, I'm Katerina, and this is my second time reading the Warrior Prophet. And I'm excited that we finally got some action in, in this part. Yeah. And I'm Daniel, and I have read these books a couple times. And yeah, we did finally get some kind of action. Yeah, I, I know uh, when we started The Warrior Prophet and both of you had said, it's action-packed, and like the first four chapters were pretty... You can tell things are building, and then um, from after this chapter, you know, about halfway through chapter five or so, things really uh, ramp up, and the you know the gas pedal is all the way down to the, the ground. So, um, yeah, to you know, to be perfectly honest, I was a little confused as to what was going on at first in the battles. I didn't really couldn't really follow like who was who and who was attacking who with all the different names. So it, it took me a minute to. Like, okay, who's who's getting killed and who's not getting killed here? Yeah, I mean, if you if you manage to remember or recognize all the different lords that get name drop in, in, in these four chapters, then kudos to you. Because even in my second read, I'm still like, there's like the, 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 the major lords, the big lords, the what those ones I can recognize now, but the the, the, the minor nobles, I... I don't even remember most of those making an appearance in this book or any any other any other book in the series. So I'm I'm not surprised you were confused. <laughs> yeah, even insignificant names get called out. So I just like to think of it like a an army contingency. You got all your different little groups, or like even in Game of Thrones, they would all like call on other cities to help them, their bannermen or whatever. So you got all your different banners around. It's just knowing which side which is on. That's the confusing bit here. And this war is not like done at the ground at all. It's all bird's eye view kind of. Because mm -hmm. I'd imagine there was 200,000 people in this battle, maybe more, more. 100,000 of them and more than 100,000 uh, Phantom. Yeah, I think that that's about right. I think the Conrad, no, not the Conrads, uh, the men under Sabon and Gothielk, they, uh, they had around, yeah, 100,000. It was about half of the Holy War, I think. I think it's the Tidani and the Galioth and the Shrile Knights. Yes, and the Thunieri. Wow. Yeah, that's right. They were the ones that came last minute. They seem like the most formidable warriors. And yeah. I guess there was also 12 sorcerers, which count as a thousand more people each. At yeah, least. but on... But on the Phantom side, right? The the Norserai. 
Yes, the, the Norserai, the, the Inrithi, didn't bring any sorcerers with them, which is what almost cost them the battle. The Scarlet Spires are still lagging behind, and at the end of this bit, it seems like that's kind of their goal now, is to just stay lagging behind until they hit the destination. I think that was kind of their, their intention, right, is to kind of stand back and then come in at the last minute and clean up. Is kind of, or am I wrong? Or is that... After this chapter, he basically says that he wants just all these, oh, what does he call them? Just basically religious. He wants all these religious fanatics to go and kill as many of the Sishwaram as they can. So when they face them, it can be annihilation. Because if he loses enough of his own school, he'll have like turned his school into a minor school just to defeat his enemy. And he can't have that. So he's got to save all his power till the end. Yeah, that's exactly right. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Basically, Eliezer is decides that um, it's better to save his his strength and his his people for the very end, so that they can uh, attack the Gisharim at at uh, at Shaima at full strength. That's a but but. His plan for now, anyways. All their plans seem to be changing pretty fluidly as we go. Yeah, but the reason they did not participate in the Battle of Mangera is just that they were, they're so slow, they they were still marching to Asgiliath, where, where Confus and Proyas were waiting for them. <laughs> yeah. And Sabon wouldn't have waited anyways. He wouldn't have went slow with them just to get there. He was just going for glory. And then right when all hope was lost, he did exactly what Kellis told him, and it saved them the battle. Yeah, yeah it, he, it did like that. He, he sacrificed the, the Shrile Knights. And Sarsalus. He got Sarsalus just like he wanted to get Sarsalus. Until I he think, got rezzed. Yeah, I think it said a uh, guy exploded in front of him and the dagger flew from the guy through Sarsalus's neck and he dropped face first into the ground. That's a really hurt. stupid way to die. <laughs> and the coolest guy, his name was Yalgrata Shrankhammer. Do you just remember that name? It was a real random name, but he was just the most brutal guy in the whole war. I don't remember. I don't uh, remember that. I think he like cuts off a horse's head in a single blow, and he just just like pushing people off their horses because he's so tall. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I did like that they just kind of go up to the horses because that's probably what would happen, right? They would probably start killing horses and getting them off the, you know, losing that advantage of uh, you know being mounted. I don't know how many Sabon had, but he had a few. He went through a few horses that fight. <laughs> yeah, Sabon calling for more horses is one of the funnier parts of, of, of the battle. 
Um, but I I like the fact that um, they um, they sort of they they describe the differences between the Phantom and the 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 Inrithi or the Donorserai in this case. The fact that the Phantom are maybe like more they like rely a lot on their horses and like very good horse riders and archers and they can shoot arrows while riding while the Norse are, are much more I guess they're have an advantage on the ground rather than maybe on the horses. And Yeah, it seemed like they're used to fighting on just flat open plains, kinda like the Sylvendi are. So they can shoot from riding their horse a lot better and i think all of them were calling him like womanish for doing that and then yeah. they all just died for it and then they decided it wasn't so womanish after all yeah it changed pretty fast it was like a, like a woman a woman weapon or something and then that yeah it didn't last too long <laughs> and then to the yeah, the... everything they do is womanish and they don't they just think arrows are womanish <laughs> The the Phantom are a lot more flexible, I guess, or like more agile, whereas the the Norse are they're kind of like rocks. Like if, if they just stand in a place, nothing everything will break against them. But if they try to like move around or um they yeah, they're not very they're not very successful. So I feel like part of the reason they win they 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 managed to fight the the, the Phantom is just by standing there, letting letting them break against their shields. And then a couple times they almost lost, were because they like thought they were breaking them, so they went to like chase them off, and then they got encircled and slaughtered. So if they held the line, they did good. But any time they chased, it didn't go good. Yeah, you would think that like Sabon would have some sense of strategy <laughs> but that doesn't really seem to be the case um like he, he basically falls for their trap immediately and then the the Shrilonites have to have to make a charge to to help them to relieve them and help them return back to the line it seems like mm -hmm. of all the people like all the all the lords who marched out from Asgiliath, like Gotien, the the commander of the Shrilonites, is the only one who can actually, like, who's actually like a capable commander. Sabon just uh, he only needs what he was told. God God told him he was going to win. What kind of strategy do you need when God says you're going to win? I, I feel like he kind of told himself that he was going to win. Like he. I feel like he only relies on the, on God when it's uh, convenient for him. Yeah, he's definitely not religious. It doesn't seem like Proyas anyways. Yeah, I kind of got the impression he was depending on numbers. That he, was over, he was confident because of the numbers that he had and not so much strategies like brute you know, force. Just charge was... until you get him based on a gamble that the Scarus was going to bring his people back and only fight in a couple cities. So they had more numbers, but they were wrong. And then that they wouldn't sacrifice any Sishwaram or bring any help until 
later when the real battles happened, which was also wrong. And I think yeah. that they sent Outriders, and the Outriders all got killed, and Nair went and observed the battle scene. That was a pretty cool part. Yeah, he plays detective there for a minute. Uh, crime scene <laughs> investigator. Yeah, he's the original CSI. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, he, he manages to convince Proyas and the other lords that uh, basically Scaris has stayed in, in Gedea and his plan is essentially to split the holy war into like several contingents so he can defeat each one, like one by one, because he probably knows that uh, if if they all met in, 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 in battle, then, then the, uh, the fanning would be outnumbered. But if he manages, if he manages to keep them separated, he probably has a, a greater chance of actually defeating them, or at least weakening them. Yeah, he mentioned. Yep. It. I think it's uh, Nor who mentions war is intellect. Yeah. And then at the same time, the whole the whole holy war does have to split up because they can't like salvage on top of each other. Not enough forage for two hundred and fifty thousand plus two hundred and fifty thousand from what it sounded like. Two hundred and fifty thousand warriors and two hundred and fifty thousand camp followers at least. That's what Acadian said. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's that's like a migration, it's not it's not an I army. Don't... I don't know any time that ever happens. I like reflect back onto that uh, Muslim holiday where they all go to the rock and it's just completely surrounded with what, at least 100,000 people. But there's really no other time that we see that many people gathered together anymore. For a common purpose, yeah. For... It's a hazard. Yeah. Trampling hazard. Yeah, the the sorcerers showing up was. I thought that was really neat that they just kind of show up and everyone, you know, it has a big impact when they just appear and it's they're like, um, well, then they each, they each equal a few hundred or a hundred men. So it was like killing hundreds of men when they killed the sorcerers. They say one sorcerer is a thousand, but a thousand. one sorcerer is probably more than a thousand. When they were talking about losses, it's because, like, I feel like they said the Scarlet Spires and the Sishwaram both had, like, 120 members or right around there. So when you lose 12, that's, like, a high percentage of the entire population. Yeah, I mean, and they take time to train, right? So it's, 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 it's a big investment for the schools. Uh, so to lose so many is, is really... It's a great loss, but I, I was kind of surprised that, like, yes, they say, they call themselves the few, but I was still surprised how few they actually were. <laughs> and the Scarlet Spires are supposed to be one of the largest schools, right? Yeah. So, so if 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 they're if they're around 100, 150 Scarlet Spires, then there are even fewer. The other schools have even fewer members. 
which in this world, I think that if you got a thousand mages together, it might just be too much, too much for the world. They're pretty powerful. So, and the yeah, and God like stop them, but their magic can like use the earth to kill whatever has the tears of God too. They just have to know that they have them. There was a there was a quote in here that I thought may be relevant later, but I'm hesitant to read it because I don't want you, I don't, I don't want to put you guys on the spot for spoilers. But um, on page 140 in my copy, anyway, uh, the Tapoy are like heights, places where one can see far, but where heights are built with mounds of stone and earth, Tapoy are built with mounds of trauma and suffering. There are heights that uh, let us see farther than this world, some say into the outside. Maybe not. I don't know. It struck me as well, important. It may come into play later, but I may be wrong. It's a really cool quote, and it's really crazy to think about, even like in our current world. That might be what like haunted places are, haunted houses, something similar, some kind of stain on the earth that affects it somehow from the outside or maybe the underneath in some TV shows. Yeah, I mean, it, it gives you some context or at least a, a semblance of an explanation for why the people who have camped out on the field of Mangueta, why, why, why they're, they're having all these nightmares or dreams and why, why there are bones coming from underneath the earth um and it, it, i mean it tells you something about the history and about like the the darkness of the the history that that surrounds this place um but what what it actually like what it actually means or what the outside is I, i'm not even sure i know okay and I, I I don't think you're really supposed to know at this point. So it it's something to keep at the back of your mind, but maybe don't worry about it too much yet. It's it deeply confused Kellis, right? Because he's like still under the belief that what comes before determines what comes after always and the fact that there's these bones washing up and people having crazy dreams seems to indicate something else and he called those primary questions but he can't focus on the primary questions he's just got to try to own holy war currently yeah and then i think towards the end of the section that we read i forget i think it might be chapter eight or seven he just mentioned something like does what comes after determine what comes before so it's the yeah. first time he seemed confused all book mm -hmm. right he's just such a question yeah there's there's a brief moment where he wonders if what he told Sabon about sacrificing the sacrificing the Shrylanites, if that actually was some sort of a prophecy that he made unaware. 
Because he, he did tell him that he should sacrifice the, the knights to essentially to win the battle without knowing that that, that was what someone was going to do and that what was going to win him the battle. Um, so, so there is this uh, uncertainty about cause and effect and how it, um, how it works in, 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 in this world. And if Callus somehow maybe stands outside of it. And I think uncertainty is like the enemy of the Dunyan. It's the Dunyan's one enemy, if you think about it. They're just trying to be certain about everything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the Dunyan are... Their goal is to approximate certainty as much as they can. To illuminate all. So leave no uncertainty. But I did like the yeah. Oh, go Sorry. ahead. No, I'll just say I did like the um, the exchange that the Sarcellus 3.0 had with uh, Callus. Is it 2.0 or 3.0? Because there was the original Sarcellus, and then so I don't know. definitely. 2.1, we'll say, because yeah. it's still a skin spy, but it's just a different one. Yeah, I really did like that exchange they had. And they played like a game called Gen Gendoki, The Shadows. Mm -hmm. Sounded like a cool game. <laughs> I, did it? I, <laughs> kind of I strange. Yeah, I don't know. It, I'm not sure that sounds like I don't, he, had, he was... Uh, Sarcellus enjoyed that a little bit too much, I think. He enjoyed the, <laughs> that game a little bit too much. It, it was very telling for Kellis, though. He he learned a lot in that one little game. Yeah, and are we we I mean we sort of knew that the skin spies get aroused, for the lack of a better word, by uh, by by violence. Or with causing and witnessing pain and violence, um, so it sh shouldn't it shouldn't come as a surprise to us. But it is something that Callus has observed and will probably use to his advantage from now on. I think uh, <laughs> when I was reading these sections, I was thinking how we're gonna how we would discuss it. And Daniel and I have had a few times this week where we were trying. Was it uh, coupling? Was the first one right? We were talking about House of the Dragon, and then we talked about negative space. Was it bodily fluids? Is that what we decided on? So I was wondering what you know our Pearl. would be. There. Pearl was bad. Yeah. So. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you should you should send me a, a dictionary of the words I'm allowed to use beforehand. No, it's, yeah. you can use whatever you want. It just we were trying to to explain it in a not so explicit way, but it's it's a fun game. So I'm, I'm glad you tackled this one, Katarina. Give us a, we needed a break from. <laughs> I'm happy to oblige. Yeah. And I think in that same battle, Kellis like insinuates that Sarsalus 2.0 had told him everything about like the endless hunger and that they were watching Kellis and they had used SMNet to watch Drusus Akamian too and Sarsalus 
leaves him, it seems like, and then decides that he should probably die because he knows too much. And Kellis was trying to walk the fine line between not killing, not looking weak, and not looking too powerful until he realized that he was trying to kill him. Then he just won the game. And it said he kicked in his chest, and it was just cartilage. That's pretty weird, like a shark. Yeah, before that exchange, I wondered if it was like a hive mind with the skin spies, if they, were, if they shared information, but now we know they don't, or at least Sarsalus 2.1 didn't know, but 2.0 did. So did learn a little bit there about skin spies, and I think Kellis uh, mentions too that he he's able to, you know, he, he's getting better at recognizing skin spies. I think he says he knows about a dozen that he's noticed, so they're not too rare. And then by the end of that conversation, he had a rudimentary understanding of of them, so he can use that to figure out how to control them. Because he would say things and see his eyes gloss over. He's seen his excitement, I guess, over war. <laughs> There's another word. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll try not to think of too many synonyms. <laughs> Man. Okay, we have fun. You can say what you want, but you can't say what you want. Oh, and there was two cool quotes about Sarsalus. One was, uh, it had robbed him even of his death. No murder could be more total because Sarsalus is still out there, but he's just dead. His position is like, oh, the other one is strange that a man could be a position. Yeah, that was a pretty cool quote. The fact that he he is, the, the, the original Sarcellus is dead, but no one knows that he is dead because he's been replaced by a a doppelganger, essentially. And so like, no, no, no one can mourn his death because... To everyone else, he's still alive. It's a pretty cool quote. Kind of just sad, right? For Sarsalus, for the Sarsalus 1.0, at least. He must have been so unimportant or insignificant that no one noticed him really disappearing. Like his personality disappearing. Yeah, that's you. I mean, that's the question. Like, to, to what extent are the, the skin spice able to replicate the original person's personality and, and behavioral behavioral quirks and to to what extent are they just a um a shell just a body i feel like in the last book it talked about them kidnapping people and then like deeply interrogating them and learning mannerisms and then the skin spy will take over once they like know of their past once they've tortured them enough. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't remember too well. But uh, they, they did take Gishruni's face. <laughs> yeah. So some some violence or torture is involved. It seems. 
Weren't these sorcerers wearing human skin, or am I misremembering? The no god. No god. And the shrink. The shrink. The shrink. Yeah. Actually, are almost a, a lot like the skin spies. They just love war more than they. love other things or is their favorite thing <laughs> so speaking of uh quotes there's one one quote that made me laugh which is always great but on page 109 at the bottom on this uh, edition anyway uh they looked oddly peaceful like enix snoozing in the sun after bathing <laughs> that was hilarious <laughs> Yeah, the, the sometimes the uh descriptions are pretty are pretty funny. There was another one describing Confus. And it was he he says something and this description goes uh Confus replied speaking as he always did as though intellectually filing his nails. <laughs> I really like that one. I thought one was funny where uh, Nair was arguing with, who was it? I don't remember what they, I think he argued with Pro, Pro yes. No, he argued with Confus again and he like won him in the argument and then the people were like, time to add another scar to your arm. <laughs> like he just killed Confus in the argument. It was good. So unfair. I mean, Confus was right though. Like, the, the, basically, the thing they they argue about is that uh, they uh, Sabon Sabon gets chosen as the what do they call it the battle celebrant, and everyone's like applauding, saying, "Yeah, like he won this, he won this battle, we won because of him." And then Confus is like, "No, you idiots!" Like. <laughs> The fact you won was pure luck. You shouldn't have won. You should have. You should have been annihilated. How? And he and he's right. Like it's it's even like even Kellis, we hear like admits that uh, the fact that they managed to survive, the fact that the the Shrilenites managed to manage to um, remove the Kisharim from the from the battle so quickly like that was the that was all pure luck but then even Kellis is like was that pure luck <laughs> but it, it certainly wasn't for you know it, it wasn't because of Sabin's great strategic mind and planning and preparation for for the battle right yeah I think Kellis just called it a gamble to get rid of Sarsalus Yeah, and and sacrifice some odds one hundred thousand people on the side. That would be the second hundred thousand people that got sacrificed. Ikri sacrificed the first vulgar holy war. Yeah, and meanwhile, Kellis is just like standing back, and it's all going the way I planned it. You know, just. Pulling strings. It's kind of the first time that he did seem like a robot, and we have talked about that before, but very um, cold and calculating. Yeah, I think there's there's one that there's one part where he 
he basically compares his face or his facial expressions to that of Cercellus. The fact that they both like imitating human, normal human expressions, but which do not in any way reflect their emotions. Um, so yeah, you, you're, you're right. He is in some ways a robot or a thing built for a, for a certain, for a certain purpose, just like the skin spies. Sarsalus seem to be more camouflage the skin spies, more just camouflage their actions to look just to get by and not look suspicious where Kellis will use his facial expressions and just silences his weapons. So they're a little different, but they are similar, not human entirely. Oh, and then during the battle, there's the part where uh, Seven seemed to have the upper hand, and then the, I think they called him the Southern Jackal, the guy that was leading the army, was sitting there with all his men, and then they started like trying to shoot arrows at him, and the first volley missed, and the second volley hit one of his men, and they started laughing, and everyone ran away except for the Southern Jackal, and he also sat there actually filing his nails. <laughs> well, I mean, he he did he did have held uh, he did hold uh, confidence in captivity for for a, a couple of years, so maybe that's uh, <laughs> where and that I came think, from. I think he got away. Maybe I don't uh, remember the Southern Jackal dying in the battle, and it said that a bunch of them got away and ran their horses to death, like they found horses strewn along the road for a long time. So some of the Phantom got away. I don't remember if the Southern Jackal did. I guess he did. I think we would have known if... Uh, I think it, it's it's Scarus is his name, right? I don't know if that is Scarus, actually. No, I thought it, it, I thought it was. But maybe I'm, maybe I'm mistaken. I'd have to look. But I feel like it's something that they would have mentioned if he, if, if he had gotten caught or if he'd been killed. Oh, and that, there that... was an, another cool part. Uh, right after the first like part of the battle happened and the Phantom kind of won, they cut off all the Northmen heads and they started throwing them over the line. And the Northmen just threw the heads back at them. And they're like, well, what the hell are these people? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to think that um, the um, ferocity with which the Norse arrive fight and the uh, the fanatism with which they attack the Gisharim, it 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 really rattles the it really rattles the Phantom, and it kind of leads to them losing morale. And eventually losing the battle because of that, like they they never recover from from the destruction of the Kisharum, even if they maybe could have won, because they had better tactics, because they still had the numbers. I mean, it's hard to tell, 
but it's I mean it's it's kind of cool that the psychological effects play such a such a big part in the battle as well. I think it was um, Satuus Satandra Satandra Son of Scarus. Yeah, Scarus Abnavilagen. Okay, so it was it was Scarus. It was Scarus. I don't know. It's Scarus. Scarus. The Padrija. But he's important. That's that's. He's okay. the. He's the. Uh, what is he? Grandy? No, is he the Padrija? Uh, I no, I got no. I got lost in the titles. Yeah, there's a lot of them. It's on page one thirty one on this uh, edition, but yeah. Right. Oh, the hardcover. Right. That's it. Old. This is one that's taped up. I told you. Yeah, it's all beautiful. It's been through it. It's been loved. <laughs> At least fifteen years. Oh, he's the Sepetisha. Sepetisha. I don't know how to pronounce these names. I mean, the Inrithi names are hard enough. Then you add the the Kianin. To the to the bat to the mixture and it's just it's too a much. Of, a lot of names. Yep, and since you don't get any perspectives of them, it's they're just even further away and more vague and hard to remember. I'm I never remembered Yalgratus Rankhammer until I read the battle. <laughs> And he was just all over and it killing people. And I don't. I actually think I do. Maybe. Maybe he stays around. Who knows? Still alive. I mean, I read it yesterday and I don't remember him, so. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't remember either. There's so many names. There's also the part, like, there are. When they were talking about the Tapoi and how, like, it's their, like, heights, kind of. They also talk about how in Mangeta there was, like, a prophecy and it says the soul that encounters him passes no further. It's, like, a quote from the sagas. It basically means that the, the dead don't die where they all fought that battle. Yeah, so I was about to mention is uh, they said, you know, they... This is the worst place to die. And I think, was it Saban who sees his own face when he's knocked down and he thinks it's his own body? A lot of weird stuff happened to Saban during that battle. Um, there was this... Th there's this, there's this scene where he... I think he's like on the ground and he's about to get killed and then his groom comes and rescues him. And before they manage to get back to safety, the, the groom is shot in the back. And and we know before we heard that like he's one of the like one of the people closest to him, closest to Sabon, the one who like someone who's who's known him from since he was a baby. And then he dies, and before he dies, he tells Sabon that all his life he's hated him, and yeah. it's such a weird. I didn't, I didn't really 
And it's not it's not clear if he's joking or if he's if he's serious and it's just something that only now that he knows he's going to die, he he finally dares to tell Sabon. Um it's 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 unclear, but it's such a weird such a weird scene in the middle of this battle. I, I was wondering what you thought of that. Is I was very confused by that whole subplot with the with the groom. What do you think, Daniel? Afterwards, it definitely seemed to leak into Sabon's psyche, trying to decipher whether it was, he first was like, oh, you tell a joke right when you die, and then afterwards, he's like, does everybody hate me? Even the closest person to me hated me. So he he seems to be having the same struggle as you, trying to decide whether it was just really a joke. I, I thought but, it was a joke at first, but man, I'm not sure. I imagine he knows because he's known the guy his whole life. I think it said that the groom's like basically the one who taught him everything. Is his father figure? So who knows? I'm sure it'll come up. I'm sure Sabon will decipher the meaning eventually. Yeah, probably well, whatever works for him. <laughs> Yeah, like you said, whatever's most convenient. Derive his own meaning. And, uh, mm -hmm. I, uh, has some has a really bad time in the ruins because he's having really intense uh, visions and nightmares. Yeah, and, and essentially, eventually, he decides to leave Mangera completely and and move. To the hills with Esmanet, where they basically play husband and wife for like a couple of days before they have to march, march again, which is kind of sweet. Like, uh, you, you, I don't know, you kind of you kind of want them to be happy and enjoy the enjoy some peaceful moments together, don't you? Yeah, you get you guys didn't warn me. This is a romance book. There's some. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, kind of happy for uh, you. Kind of root for them, you know, because they have this weird, this weird thing going on. Now that I read uh, the Anna Smith Sparks book, it reminded me of their brief moment they had in the first book. Where they're like, maybe we could just run away together. Yeah, you know they can't though. I mean, it would never, never work out. Uh, yeah, rooting for them though. I hope, but you know, I, I, I'm rooting for them, but I, I don't expect it to work out very well for either of them. <laughs> you're you're both getting really good at your poker faces. Don't let me know if I'm onto something or not. I had to put my hat down right there so you wouldn't see. Oh, and then we got a bird's eye view of the bird. And he, t he says that uh, Golgadaroth would approve that the holy war prevailed over the Sishwarm and that it kind of surprised him. So that kind of lets you know what, what side they're on currently, at least for this current situation. Yeah, it seems like the consult has 
some interest in the in the holy war prevailing and possibly reaching Shaima. And there is also um, a like a confirmation essentially that like that uh, the synthes is one of the Inkaroi. Is it the there's all, yeah the 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 synthes complains about uh, men or the the other races calling them Inkaroi, and thinks it's kind of a, an unfit description of their race or, or their species or, or whatever they are. Which yet. we don't know yet. We just know that they're old. They're really, really old. I think even the skin spice, what, what did the skin spice say when he was hiding Kellis? Something about how it seemed people just like Kellis tons of them over thousands of years so he's insignificant to what they are hmm. they're much more old and powerful than him and it seems like they said that like age is the biggest advantage because they've been around and seen it all so i'm, I'm kind of glad that Kellis had you know he um had a few moments of of uncertainty because he seemed a little bit too, a little bit too powerful there for a little bit. Um, he can pull too many strings, and it kind of it is not as interesting if he's um, too powerful. At least not yet. I mean, he, he he did talk about before. He did talk about not understanding war or like war being too complicated for him to calculate. So. Like here, you kind of see him struggling. Um, like it's it's that it's it, it is. I mean, yes, yeah, it's, it's there's just too many unknowns and too many variables he has to take into account. So he's for he's he's put in a situation where he essentially has to uh, make educated guesses about which way things are going to go if he makes that decision or 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 another. So yeah, he's he's not all powerful. Yet. He's not all powerful yet. He definitely wants to be though. Yeah, and it seems sorry. But he thinks his dad's the all powerful one. He's still struggling to catch up who's whatever his dad's achieved so far. Yeah, and it's it seems that his plan for now is to use the influence he has over Sabon to start um recruiting followers, I guess would be the best word to describe that. Yeah, he befriended Saban's like favorite cousin in order to just have another close person to Saban on his inner circle. He's just trying to get all the advantages he can. Yeah. And and he he does think about 
he does think about recruiting Confis or yeah, he he does consider recruiting Confis, but then it becomes very clear very early on that Confis is not going to be easily easily converted to uh to, to to a follower because he's too um he's too cautious and too as intelligent also but also just so self-centered that uh callus is not like is not really able to manipulate him with the with the flattery or, or revelations um about his person because confess just doesn't care like he's already the god of his own universe <laughs> that's a great way to describe it yeah so he kind of has the same defense as nair just dip, got there through a different way they both have defenses from the done game they're just achieved differently hmm. but he still has to conquer them that's he conquers everything And yeah, I think but... we talked in the last chapter about how he didn't realize that that's kind of what stairway was for Kellis and Nair. Like a wedge. A wedge in somehow. He'll get some other he'll get some other wedges soon. Probably. Or die trying. <laughs> Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. Let's, let's see how things evolve. Fair enough. Um, it made yeah. mention of the Heron Spear again when it talked about the final battle with the No-God and because he died at Mangetta or whatever, where they are currently. Yeah, they talk about where the No-God was struck down. Yeah, and I mean we we saw we saw the no god die in one of the earlier chapters I think, when Akamian dreams about the plains of Mangeta of the battle, and the is it the Kyrenean great king throwing the the heron spear and and defeating the no god. So in some ways we've already been to Mangeta before, before this. Before this and moment, when Akamian has that same dream in Mangeta, he he wakes up and the No God is still screaming at him, asking him, "What, what do you see? What am I?" And that's why he decides that he probably better get away from the plains of Mangeta as soon as he can. Oh yeah. yeah about the topoi it said like since so much death and what did they call it so much trauma and suffering had happened there that it was like being on a, a steep cliff and getting vertigo and that's what the dreams were something like vertigo those weird feelings 
and you're sleeping in an insane asylum and you hear something walk on the floor. Some kind of weird vertigo-ish feeling. But it's it's interesting that some people are reported not to dream. So Kells doesn't doesn't experience doesn't doesn't dream. Proyas doesn't uh, doesn't have any dreams. And uh, also Gothielk, the oh, is he one of the? No, he's the leader of the Tydoni. One of the two. Yeah, Tydoni. That's right. So, so at least those three people don't actually experience any dreams. Um, I, I'd be curious to know why, if there is any particular reason. Um, I don't think it's given in these chapters, but why, why do they dream? Why do other people wake up from nightmares and those guys, these, these three are fine? Just look for it while you read more, maybe. How'd you keep an eye on that? Oh, there's also a part where Martimus was talking about like when he was younger and his teacher was asking him, telling him about the tusk and said it's connected to far bigger things. And <laughs> Martimus asked him if he meant a mastodon. <laughs> that, that part was funny, I thought. It was a good joke. Yeah, it was, it was adorable. It was actually a cute joke. <laughs> a lot of the jokes that people tell in these books are... Not innocent. Yeah, a, a, adult jokes, to say the least. The, um, the combat rem reminded me a little bit of Erickson's combat um, from the Malazan books that I've read. Um, kind of like the top down, but I'm not sure if that's if either of you noticed that or is it just me? In parts, like the first battle with uh, Nair fighting, it was like from Nair's perspective, so it was a little bit of that like like a chaotic battle, more close to first person, and then after he got up to the hill, it zoomed out, and I feel like at least in some of Erickson's books, there were battles like that, that were kind of like first person in parts, and then it had to like zoom you away to show you what was going on. In this battle, first person, like when, when there's 200,000 people on the battlefield, first person wouldn't really show you anything. It'd just be cutting and hacking and cutting and hacking until someone said someone won, probably. So it's better to get that like perspective view where you see whole entire columns just get like swallowed by by the army and then he just briefly is like oh and their leader died someone else held back up their banner and then he died and their banner never rose again yeah i think similar to erickson baker puts a lot of focus on the um the, the logistics of the war, like the actual like positioning of the troops and their movements. He does focus a lot of a lot on that. But as you said, he, a lot of the battles in the Prince of Nothing are written from this like omniscient 
narrator's POV, um, which I don't. I think Erickson takes a more like personal or like clo- like close like close third person narrative approach to, to his battles. Um, more like that first battle with Nair, where it was him getting betrayed and running away, and then getting to Hill and describing what he's seen. Yeah, I mean, I must say, I, I I do like the battle at Cayuth a lot, a lot more than this one. Just because, like, I'm generally a, a disclaimer. I, I don't care too much for action in in books or in other media. Um, so I, I did I did like the battle of Cayuth a lot more because it's about it's it's much more personal. And it's about so much more than the actual battle. Whereas the battle here, the battle at Mangueta, it's like, it, it felt like, yes, it's also about other things, but a lot of the focus is on what's actually happening on the ground and on like the the the, 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 the military strategy. And um, there is less of the personal in, in this battle, I would say. Although you get a little bit of it, a little bit of it with, with Saban. But I don't like like I don't like Saban. He's, he's just I'm not a fan. So I didn't care too much. I didn't care too much for, for for him or what was happening to him. You just went along with the nobody likes him theory. Nobody likes Saban. Not even his groom. Not even Saban. <laughs> yeah. God might yeah. like him though. He realizes that now. Maybe God likes Saban if no one else does. No, I, 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 I feel like I can, I can remain pretty objective when it comes to most of the characters. But Saban, I'm just—I mean, there, there are other reasons I, I don't like him, which <laughs> you'll have to read and find out. But in just in, he's just so—he's just like he feels. I don't know. He just it's it's like he feels like the world owes him something and I don't think it does. Out of all the characters in this book, all the terrible characters is Saba. Poor Saban. Get your <laughs> get your rap. Xeria <laughs> seems a lot more less likable than him. I'd get drunk with Saban and he wouldn't be that bad to hang out with. Well, uh, Zerius is fun, though. <laughs> he always, fun. he always, he always, Zerius always makes me laugh. Sabon, yeah, I don't know. Like you, 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 he's Sabon's very, really unpredictable. Like you don't know what he, if he's gonna change his mind in a in a, in a second about something, and or if he's gonna have a a breakdown. All of a sudden, uh, just n- not a fan. Not not a fan. <laughs> yeah, I get it. But I'm biased. I mean, I, I do I do realize that. That's that's my uh, that's my one. Uh, that's the one time I cannot really stay very objective in 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 these books. I think. Hashtag Team Sawbone. <sighs>
Yeah, and the other thing was they mentioned the horror. I think they, I think it's this book they start mentioning the horror, and that's, is it like time and fate, destiny? Is that kind of the, you know, like the horror will smile upon you, kind of like destiny or fate? Yep, pretty much uh, the fate. I, I guess it's kind of, it, it, it goes, it just tells you that, um, the fate or that the future is it's fickle it doesn't it doesn't favor one over the other yep <clears throat> it'll about right it might even be a god to them one of the hundreds because there's a religion that worships a whole bunch of gods well in Rao worshiped some little side god right I don't remember yeah. what his little side god was. Uh, his was... Is it Oinkis or something? It starts with an yeah. O. Yeah, there you go. You're right. Oikis, Oin... Something like that. But I, I, I feel like they, the god... There might be a goddess of, of future or fate or something, something like that. That got mentioned earlier, but I do not remember. I don't remember how many religions there were in this book. I, I think at least like seven. I think I could think of at least seven religions in this book. It's quite a few. It's hard to, you know, there's a lot, a lot to this world. Yeah, it's interesting because it's not something I paid much attention to on my first read. Like, I basically just ignored all the all the like minor deity, deities that that get mentioned. Um, but later, when I started the second series, I realized they might not be as relevant as I thought they were. Um, as irrelevant, right? They might be as, relevant. They might be relevant. They, 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 yeah, exactly. Thanks for correcting me. I'm still jealous. You know three languages. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had one more quote. When men who knew little argued with men who knew nothing, tempers were certain to be thrown out of joint. This reminds me of my my everyday life almost everywhere I go. Anytime I turn on the internet, certainly. So do you consider yourself the man who knows little or the one man who knows nothing? Nothing. I know enough Buddhism to know I want to be the one who knows nothing instead of little. Because everything is something, but something is nothing. Do you have any other notes, uh, Katerina? Uh, let me see. I mean, I have a lot, but I think a lot of it's also not very important. Did we talk about the Scarlet Spires? We did a little bit, right? A little bit. Um, yeah, the fact that they uh, decided to save their strength and 
not use it against the Kisharum right away. Um, and also that I think something we didn't mention is that the plan to uh, capture Kamian seems to be still underway. Even though Ayaka is Iokas, is that his name? Yeah. Has uh, so Iokas has expressed some doubts. Yeah, that seems pretty reasonable. They said they had captured thirteen other mandate in the past, but they'd never been able to get the gnosis their uh, magic from them, and they seem to think that somehow the mandate are connected to the Sishwaran and they really want to find out how. They're yeah, like and 100% sure that he's connected to the Sishwaran. Full belief and, for that. And we find out that the uh, the sorcerer who basically sold them or tried to sell them the information about Akami and is dead <laughs> tortured and in a shallow grave yes so the fact that he tries he attacked elizarius and tried to get the hell out of there when 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 they first tried to make him stay and interrogate him it seems in in hindsight it seems like it was a pretty reasonable decision on his part too bad it didn't yeah. work out for him yeah, so he, knew, a messenger. he knew the rules of sorcerer Janan, I guess. It's not head bowing, but it's when you're going to get killed and not kidnapped. Yep. And one thing we did not mention is the fact that Confess asked Martimus to become a uh, a spy for him essentially and to try to get uh, into Kellis's inner circle which is kind of like uh, the reverse of like sort of a reverse of what or the same thing that Kellis is trying to do like Kellis Kellis is trying to win Confess over so Confus uh, decides to send Martimus to spy on Callus. Yep, that did happen. How how do we think that's going to work out? Well, I mean, for what, from at least from Confus's POV, Martimus Martimus seems pretty loyal, and as like as someone who isn't like it's the one who, who who believes in the empire and in the emperor and whose loyalty is um unassailable but i mean that's from that's what confess thinks right we we haven't really seen into martimus's head yet so hard to tell What about you, Steve? What do you think is going to happen? I honestly have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. This is new ground for you, finally. We're yeah, in new ground. Yeah, they're all um, so many different um, you know, 
characters and angles, and so yeah, I'm not sure. Well, we'll see then. Yeah. How about this question? Is is God real in this world? What do you think? No, no comment. Uh, I'm going to say yes. I don't know. I don't have no idea. If maybe there was a god and there, God is no longer around. Because last book I asked you that and you said that there hasn't been any proof, but now we're at least getting bones coming out of the ground. That's weird. Maybe God's not real, but the earth has a, a soul itself. Seems something. Like it. Something. I keep hearing how mind blowing this the third book is, so we'll see. Hmm. Is it the <laughs> third book or the second trilogy? I forget. Anyway, one of the one of them. The, the second trilogy goes places that no other book will ever go, for sure. Hmm. I actually, I actually have a question for Steve as well. Um, we're in trouble already. <laughs> no, I'm I'm just curious um, because it's something that I found maybe puzzling when when I read the trilogy for the first time. Um, who like who are you? Are you rooting for someone in the Holy War? Like we've only followed we've only been following one side, obviously. But like w like what what do you think or where do you like where do you stand? Who is, is is like who do you think is in the right or is there some is there anyone in the right at all? I'm curious to know like what your what or how you feel about that. Doesn't seem like anyone's really in the right. Um, everyone has their own uh, goals. I feel like I should be rooting for Kellis, but I can't. Um, he's just so he feels really uh, like a robot, so it's hard to attach. To him because it's hard to connect with him. I, I, I feel like I should be rooting for Akamian because he seems like fairly harmless and like a decent fellow. But I just, I, but I, we know that he survives at least after this holy war, right? Because of the quotes in the beginning of the chapters. So he lives for a little bit longer, at least. Um, mm -hmm. I find myself rooting for Esmanet and for um, Surway more than I do the other characters. Cool. The true and innocence. Hmm? The true innocence, seemingly. Yeah, I kind of root for them to to find peace and happiness, but the rest of them, I, I, like Noir, I, I kind of you know it's hard to like yeah. some of these characters. But I mean, I enjoy reading them and I enjoy you know following the story. But as far as like who I'm rooting for, that's a tough one because there's so many mm. horrible, horrible characters. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was maybe thinking more from the angle, like from the religious angle, because you have like, the, at least like very superficially, it is the war is between the Phantom and the Enrithi, and like all the characters that we follow are Enrithi. Yeah, basically, um, we ne like, we, and we don't actually get, we haven't actually gotten a, a perspective from the from the Phantom. So maybe I was thinking about it in in more in more in those terms. I'm pretty convinced the Phantom's going to win. I think we had talked about that a little bit. It was the last week of the poker before. face, poker face. Yeah. There um, there was a part like after this after this battle where 
the all the holy war people like swept into the camp and they murdered all the slaves and raped all the women and just like did all the worst things that humans can do yeah, which is, is what happened in the crusades right like mm. you're fighting for the good side but you still do the bad things a good side in quotes <laughs> in real life R. Scott Baker alludes to what he calls the magical belief lottery a lot, meaning like <laughs> currently if you won the magical belief lottery, you'd be like a, a white male in America who's Christian because then you have like all the best magical belief traits hmm. in the current world. But they change over time. They're always changing. Always evolving. Maybe the phantom and, will win the lottery. And when you're born, you're always believing what your parents believe, kind of. You don't think they're wrong ever. Religion's real tricky to me. Yeah. I just feel bad for all, all of them who hate each other over just the religion. Same with all these people in this holy war. I just feel bad for all of them. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 the the um, the part where where they meant where it gets mentioned that they raid the camp and slaughter everyone or like violate everyone. I've I found that really powerful, especially because you you spend this entire battle on the side, like well, most of it on 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 the side of the uh, the the Inrithi, and you you kind of can't help but root for them, and then they win, and you're like yay, and then they go and just do this which puts things back into a perspective it, you know and it's maybe because it's fresh but it did remind me a lot of um empires of dust i won't say too much so i won't spoil it for anyone but the, that conflicting uh you know you want to root for certain people or certain groups and then they do really terrible things after so kind of i can see where that comparison comes from the farther we get into Prince of Nothing. Yeah. There are definitely some perils. Um, my last note says I counted two Death Games Rolling Down lines. What was the line? Death. Death came swirling down. Oh. When Sarsalus died, Death came swirling down and hmm. someone else, I don't remember. I think that is a line out of the Iliad, if I'm right, or uh, the other one. What's the other one called? The Odyssey. Yeah, one of oh. one of the two. Be Beowulf. It's one of those really old, old fantasy books. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure where where exactly it originates, but it is a uh, it is a recurrent thing in Baker's books. Once you notice it, you can't, you can't unsee it. It is true. There's a lot of swirling death. Yes, there is. And just a lot of death in general. Yeah. So for, uh, I wasn't sure what, just for anyone listening who's reading along with this, um, I was looking at the pages it looks like um did you guys want to do nine through 13 it's about 
About 108 pages, or did you want to do 9 through 12? Let me see. I can't yes. remember. I just say yes. Where I need to, I need to look. Which one is chapter fourteen? Because there's, there's, there are two chapters that essentially are like happen right one after the other. Hmm. Um, but I don't remember if it was twelve or or thirteen. Oh, it's 14 and 15. They're named the same. So I'm assuming those two are, they're both named Amurat. And yeah, that's, that should be the, those should be probably, I think there's, there's like a cliffhanger at the end of the, the first one. So oh, okay. I guess so if we did go to 13, then we would do all of them at once, right? right yes yeah, so then uh, or we can do um, yeah we can do either do 9 through 12 or uh, 9 through 13 I'm, I'm good at either one whatever whatever is easier for for you guys I guess if either we, works for me. <laughs> if we do do, oh, just looking at the pages, if we do do 9 through 13, the following week would be uh, about 60, almost almost 70, oh, 70 pages for the, for the finish of the part, part two. So uh, either way. Let's let's do. Um, I don't know. Maybe let's do the first four. Or no, wait. It's how 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 long are the first five chapters? Or like chapter nine through thirteen. Nine through thirteen is uh, one hundred and eight pages. That's fine. I mean, that's doable. I don't know. I guess it doesn't really matter. <laughs> well, you're you're the you're the only one with self control, so that's why I have to ask you because. You're the you're reason you're the reasonable person in this group, so I have to see what you think. Okay. Yes, but I'm also terrible at making decisions, so. <laughs> Me too. That's why I said yes. Yeah, because yeah, I'll yeah. So yeah, we can do that. Uh, Nine through thirteen. Sounds good. Yeah. As long as um, I don't, as long as I don't have to make the decision, I'm good. Not not too bad. Um, so cool. Anyone listening? Anyone reading along, listening, then uh, about 100 pages or so for the next week. So, And let us know if you are listening and reading along with us, because I'm uh, curious if anyone's doing that. I think it'd be fun. So, I've had a couple of people tell me that they, they listen while they read, but I wasn't sure if they were just BSing you or they were serious. So. At least <laughs> for the first book, right? Yeah. So, cool. Another another fun Friday, another fun discussion. So, thanks to both of you for making time, Katarina. Thank you for staying up late with us. Always a pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel, thanks for taking time out of your Fridays. Yep, yep. Thanks for having me.
Look forward to next week. We'll do it all over again. We're making, uh, we're chipping away at it. It's a nice, it's a nice pace. I think it's, um, there's so much that happens because I finished in this section. I thought this may not take very long because there's not like a ton that happens. But then we sit down, we talk about it. And an hour and a half later, here we are talking about it. Still, oh, so. it hasn't been an hour and a half. Wow. I, I, yeah. It flew by. Yeah, it flies by. Well, an hour and 20 minutes, but, you know. Cool. Well, we'll see everyone next week, or you'll hear us next week. Everyone have a great yep. weekend. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah.